Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Kevin Levitt, Director of Industry and Business Development for Financial Services for NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA may not be the first company you think of when you think about FinTech, but NVIDIA is one of the driving forces behind the technology powering artificial intelligence today. And that is right up Kevin's alley. And that's why I brought him on the show to specifically talk about the very cool applications of artificial intelligence to financial services that he's seen to date and where he thinks it's headed. And with that, here's my interview with Kevin. Kevin, thanks for giving the time. Great to be here, Jason. So Kevin Levitt of NVIDIA, tell us about NVIDIA. Sure. NVIDIA is a company that was started about 30 years ago, almost. And we've really pioneered the use of graphics processing units, GPUs, uh, initially for rendering images and videos and graphics and everything that you think of when you probably think of a great portion of our business today and our heritage, which is in the graphics industry, video games, et cetera. Fast forward to today, and not only do we power uh, some of the most amazing visual platforms and capabilities imaginable, but we also empower all of the artificial intelligence capabilities that are resident within any industry, whether that's automotive, healthcare, and certainly financial services, as you alluded to, in terms of my area of responsibility. So today, we really talk about ourselves as a full-scale full stack data center scale computing platform and really an accelerated computing platform. And that's where the technology comes in because with that you can't do high performance computing and you can't train and execute all of these artificial intelligence deep learning models at the point of execution from an inference standpoint. And that's where our technology is being used today, particularly within the financial services industry. Yeah, NVIDIA brings up some bad memories for me when I first uh, started investing uh, way back when I was in high school. I made a bet on 3D effects instead of you guys, and boy, was that the wrong bet. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll put that aside. So tell me about your history before NVIDIA and what brought you to the company. Yeah, sure. For the past 15 plus years, I've been at the intersection of data, technology, and, and financial services, primarily from the perspective of a startup. So that started with a company called Comscore really pioneered the use of data for the use of understanding consumer behavior with digital technologies, starting out in just plain old laptop desktop interactions with the web, migrating over to mobile. And then I actually, after 14 years there, moved over to Credit Karma, squarely in the fintech domain, running business development for four years, and then moving over to Rusify to run their sales team. Uh, again, digital mortgage operation, both Credit Karma, Rusify operating at the intersection of data, financial services, and technology. And then saw the opportunity and what was brewing from an artificial intelligence standpoint in the financial services industry and was really attracted to kind of NVIDIA's leadership role in really enabling and educating the industry to use artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning to bring these AI-enabled applications to market. So my role today is global in scope, working with the biggest companies in the financial services industry across all sectors, down to all the fintechs and insurtechs that are looking to use AI for good, whether that's internally within the organization, uh, in terms of their processes, uh, to external applications such as virtual assistants and chatbots. So before we go any further, artificial intelligence, Let's. there's no one specific type of artificial intelligence in computing, as we know. You mentioned a couple, right? So you mentioned AI, deep learning, machine learning. Care to give us kind of a brief uh, introduction into the differences? 
Sure. You can think of artificial intelligence or AI as kind of the super umbrella, if you will. And underneath that falls a category of artificial intelligence, which is machine learning or a subset of AI, where the machine is really following a bunch of rules to infer things about a solution. It certainly requires a human interaction to improve and iterate on the performance of the model in order to get more accurate results and predictions move over to deep learning where the machine is actually training itself. You don't have to give it the rules necessarily. You give it some baselines and some example data and it will train itself up. Uh, the deep learning algorithm really identifies whether a prediction is accurate or not through its own neural network learning and improving on its own. Essentially, you can think of deep learning as software writing software. Excellent. Now, a concept that no doubt scares some people, but there's some very, very interesting uh, use cases that have come up in, in that space already, at least of which was, uh, was it AlphaGo Zero beating a program that was not taught how to play Go, beating a artificial intelligence that had beaten the world's best Go players. So it figured it out on its own, which was insane. You know, there's also, I mean, we can continue to expand upon there because there's so many other branches, right? Like natural language processing, all kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. But before we go down that road, instead of going down that rabbit hole, let's talk about what actually basically you were seeing done with this right so for for a long term time artificial intelligence has been an abstract concept but in the last i don't know i can't even i'm not even pick the year where it started to become a more of a real thing in people's lives but something as simple as siri became a real thing the artificial intelligence application in people's lives and we're starting to see basically companies apply this specifically to their own unique verticals and needs so what are the, some of the really kind of you know cool examples you've seen of great applications of artificial intelligence within financial services the way I like to talk about the variety of use cases, and you mentioned there are hundreds, if not thousands of applications within financial services that will be AI enabled, is to bring it home to all of us as financial consumers, right? And so if you think about when we're in market to get a new credit card or a new home loan, most of us turn to the, to, to the internet. And we do some form of research and there are leading fintechs like NerdWallet and Credit Karma and others that are using artificial intelligence, in this case, recommendation engines to make a recommendation as to which credit card is best for us based on what these companies know about who we are. You know, we've trusted them with our credit score and credit report information. They're utilizing that information to tell us which products we're eligible for or most likely to get approved for, but also which make the most sense based on our spending habits and other data that they have about us. And so that's just one example. But, you know, after product discovery, it's all about going and applying for the, for the product, right? So we'll go to a bank's website and we'll apply for the credit card. And that's where artificial intelligence, in this case, deep learning is being used from an underwriting perspective to identify whether or not we are credit worthy. And there are companies like Upstart, which is publicly traded fintech based in San Francisco that is using deep learning for underwriting. And they're able to utilize more than just our credit score and credit report, because we are more than just those numbers when it comes to our credit worthiness. We're also about you know, our education level. We're about our ability to pay back our rent to pay our utilities on time, things that aren't necessarily covered by a credit report that companies can begin to integrate into their underwriting to get a more complete picture of our credit profile. And in the case of Upstart, because they're taking in more data, they're able to underwrite more consumers than they would otherwise be able to. And they're able to do that at a lower average APR as well. So it's a great kind of financial empowerment and enablement story uh, because they're using deep learning for underwriting. 
And so then with before that, just to interrupt. Mm-hmm. So before that, we had the likes, like, so the FICO score ruling all, right? Like, and, and then mm-hmm. discretion underwriter. So we defaulted to scores, collateral, whatever else it was. But really, it was the old saying of, uh, what was it? It's the four C's, collateral, character, uh, capacity, and uh, credit. And that's a very narrow framing of, of a problem. And what, you know, what these guys have done clearly from what you're describing is they've taken in countless different variables to then basically create models that are, from what I've seen in academic studies, substantially more accurate than FICO scores in terms of, in terms of calculating probability of default. So, and if you're telling me that they're also doing that at lower rates than traditional, that is a win across the board. Exactly. And then, you know, the applications of that are significant because if you think about micro lending, lending to consumers without credit histories, there's so many credit worthy consumers that have immigrated into this country, don't have a credit history, have great jobs, can't get access to the financial system, et cetera. And so there are myriad applications for this and underwriting use case doesn't apply just to credit. It applies to insurance where, you know, companies are looking at, you know, how do we drive? versus the data that's just you know coming to them from third parties so that they can use telematics to see that actually we do obey you know the speed limits we don't accelerate too fast we don't corner too quickly and therefore we're better auto insurance risk than our neighbors who don't drive like maniacs. So there are all sorts of applications of this at many levels than just pure credit underwriting. Absolutely. It's funny. The, the, I, was, I was chuckling a little bit there when you talked about the people, new immigrants to the country and may have great credit scores everywhere. Cause I've got, I'm not going to, I've got a client who has moved to the U S in a tech capacity. And if you heard the title and the company they worked for, you'd be shocked that they have any credit issues whatsoever, but it's because they've only been in the country for like a couple of years. And Mm -hmm. once they get past a magic threshold for a certain number of years, you know, the world of credit unlocks them. But prior to that, it's, it's a very broken system, quite honestly. So uh, very real use cases here. So, okay. So we're seeing a lot of, of applications towards, I would say data heavy stuff. Where do you think that you've seen, what has been the natural type of function for artificial intelligence to serve in the market today? Like what's the commonalities around the things it's replacing? Sure. I would say the English language is a big one. So you talked about natural language processing, natural language understanding. You know, we're all using language, primarily English, but many other languages in this country. And the technology can really enable a better customer experience across many dimensions when artificial intelligence, deep learning models that leverage natural language processing are utilized. An example of that would be, you mentioned Siri, a virtual assistant or chatbot in the context of financial services that is helping us to transfer a balance or to understand what our balance is or to pay a bill. And then it goes from there to assisting the call center agent where we have a more sophisticated problem. And we've, we're on the phone with the call center and the agent, the AI is actually complementing human assistant with information. Oh, people who have experienced this type of problem, here's the type of resource you should point them to. And even after the call is done, there's call center transcription where the AI has been taking notes on behalf of the call center agent. So the post call time for an agent comes from 10 minutes down to two minutes. So the operational efficiencies are there. And they're also leveraging uh, next best action capabilities in the recommendation systems. So really, I think a lot of what we're seeing within financial services is grounded in natural language capabilities. And that extends beyond a consumer finance example, as I've been providing into the capital markets, where they're using natural language AI capabilities to understand sentiment, read earnings reports, all the news that's coming out, 
about mm-hmm. the market, which is down significantly today. You know, what's driving that and how does that inform risk decisions? How does that inform investment decisions and so forth? Uh, natural language processing models are all capable of either trading algorithmically or again, aiding the human trader in identifying signal that's important to their investment decisions. Yep. If there's one sector of the economy that is always willing to pay top dollar to make the most cutting edge technology available to its basic to its application, it is people trading in the stock market. And look no further than Renaissance Technologies, who basically pioneered, well, one of the pioneers of applying artificial intelligence to countless amounts of data for the market and whose track record is just stupendous. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's what it does well. That's where it's worked out well. Let's talk about what it doesn't do well. There's a paradox in artificial intelligence um, circles known as, uh, I'm going to script this last name every time, Moravec's paradox, which is basically that complex things for people, are, for machines are easy for people and vice versa. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of simplicity in the kind of the examples we're talking about. So the examples you're talking about the, the date are large quantities of data that are basically analyzed in a systematic way. And it's really just a ton of heavy lifting beyond the capacity of the human mind. That sort of thing is far, probably far easily, hand, more easily handled by an AI than any human being ever could. Whereas I was using an example outside of finance, the trolley car problem, for example, for uh, when it comes to draw, when it comes to uh, artificial intelligence driving cars for us, right? This they've gotten us to a really good point on highways, but city streets eh, still got difficulty because of everything going on. Care to give me some examples of where you think it has where it doesn't work well right now, and you can see that changing? Sure, I think there are lots of opportunities to continually improve how AI is leveraged uh, within any industry, including within the context of of financial services. I would say that one of the areas where we're seeing a lot of investment from our customers is certainly in identifying fraudulent transactions. And the AI has actually proven to be really good here. But the reason why you continually have to update them in improvement is because the bad guys are always trying to outsmart the computers, right? And so that's where there are corner cases such as, you know, high-end jewelry purchases, which there aren't necessarily a lot of online, how can you identify a good transaction from a fraudulent one where there's low incidence transaction activities to leverage in a model? Well, you can actually use techniques such as GAN of adversarial networks within AI to create synthetic data that the models can then use to formulate their capabilities when it comes to detecting fraud in that type of transaction. But the other piece of your, that paradox is, you know, humans are, are good at analyzing documents. You know, we can, you know, we can identify an error, but do we really want to spend our time looking through thousands of documents every week? Or would we rather train up neural network and the deep learning algorithm to offload the rote and the mundane and allow us to focus on the higher order problem and opportunity. So it's not about job loss. It's about job improvement, really, which is making freeing us to do the the higher order capabilities that the computers, frankly, to your point, they're not good at context switching. For example, you could train them to drive a vehicle and drive a car, but then 
if you put them in a different type of mode of transportation, such as a train, they're not going to be able to context switch immediately and do that. Humans can, can figure out, well, we'd still need to find a way to accelerate. We need to find this, a way to break, et cetera. So there's certainly applications that are going to continually improve. And we've all seen that. The series of the world have all gotten better at understanding what we're saying rather than us shouting the same instruction six times into the phone. So I would expect to see the continuous improvements over time will be made across all capabilities in terms of the applications that are going to be AI enabled. Speak for yourself about not having to repeat yourself six times, but <laughs> I talk too quickly sometimes. But that said, it's I have had the same conversation. I mean, there are concerns that maybe creative destruction, the new technologies deposing old uh, world paradigms and may not keep up with the you know, new jobs, may not keep up with the extinction, extinction of old jobs. But let's also talk about the quality of these old jobs. There wasn't a, there was a time not too many decades ago where accounting departments employed massive back offices full of people working on spreadsheets. And when I say spreadsheets, I don't mean computers. This was large, large, multi-page sheets of paper where someone would go and actually with a pencil and a calculator and an eraser, calculate everything along the way. And I can't imagine what the error rate was on those things, but you know, mm -hmm. all it took was the right software to eliminate that. Now everybody can basically do, one person can do the amount of work that an entire team used to. And that's kind of like what we're talking about with a lot of this stuff, right? It's processing of applications, digesting all this data. Is that really, the, is that really fulfilling work for people? And I have to argue that probably not. Yeah, I would say those consultancies are so full of huge teams, but rather than analyzing spreadsheets, to your point, they're analyzing the output and the data to make better informed decisions and to consult more effectively to the companies that are hiring them. And so maybe they're, they've shifted from front office to more middle office, sorry, for back office, to more middle office and front office responsibilities. But there's so much opportunity that's created by better insights from the collection and analysis of all this data so that the companies are operating more efficiently. They're delivering enhanced products to market. They're delivering better customer experiences. We're, we ourselves are spending less time on hold because we can self-service many of our needs. And all that is being facilitated in large part by the machine learning, deep learning capabilities that are coming to market. And I think that's the most exciting part of kind of the pivot that we're in now is that it's no longer about the domain of the research and innovation labs within the huge financial organizations. The banks, the insurance companies, they've all seen what AI can enable and the return, not just from a financial perspective, but in terms of the lifetime value of the customer, because the customers are more satisfied. They're getting better service. They're getting a more personalized experience. They're getting better recommendations as to how to improve their financial lives. And so they've, the banks have latched onto this and decided they need to migrate out of the innovation lab and into this horizontal enterprise AI capability. And that's where many of our conversations are happening today is in the C-suite with these large banks that have had success in this siloed manner. And now they're trying to figure out how do I build an enterprise AI capability, AI infrastructure to support the migration from a handful of AI-enabled applications, again, up to hundreds. And so that's really this exciting dynamic that's playing out in real time today. Given, I got to say this much, that that challenge is going to be enormous, not even from the AI standpoint, simply because of the siloed nature in which everybody operated it in, right? You have separate databases, very legacy, lots of legacy beta databases. I'm not sure how good AI is dealing with COBOL, right? Like that's, mm. you know, as, a, as an old joke. And then never mind the cultural imperatives for everybody that typically worry about their own fiefdoms as opposed to cross-sectional cross organizations. So that's got to be quite the culture shift for all these people in addition to the technological one. 
Absolutely. And you're right. It all comes back to people again, right? And one of the more challenging areas in terms of building out an AI capability within the large banks, even within the fintechs, is how do you recruit and retain all this highly desirable talent in terms of the data scientists themselves? Mm-hmm. And you know that's another element in all this is you can't hire all this great human talent and not give it the right tools to do their best work. If they're sitting around waiting for three weeks for a natural language processing model to train, only to potentially fail because the computing power has not enabled the the model to run in its entirety. Imagine how much time and resource you're wasting. And so that's a huge part of the story that we're out communicating to the the community is that's where accelerated computing platforms like NVIDIA's come in is really giving the data scientists, frankly, the tools to do their best work and to do the innovation. And that's really another element that's really exciting right now is it used to be that the ideas outpaced the innovation and the compute capabilities, right? Where people wanted to do things, but the computers just didn't have the capability to crunch the data in a fashion that would allow us to get these uh, new products and solutions enabled with AI out to market. And now it's the reverse where the opportunity to leverage AI in the context of financial services or most any industry is limited not by the computing capabilities and the powers of the platform, but it's really our imaginations and where we want to get creative to infuse AI into the applications that we're taking to market. And that's another area where there's a lot of investment today is, you know, it's not just about the talent. It's not just about the infrastructure. It's about identifying the use cases that where AI will most benefit both the bank or other financial institution, as well as their customers. And it's, it's interesting you say that. I mean, a couple of points to be made. One, you talked about like you now the computing power is now pacing our ability to innovate on it, quite frankly. And yeah, we the great thing is we've seen that over the entire computer revolution. Like we saw back, if you want to talk about how slow everything was back in the 80s, that was brutal. And then you get to the stage where, you know, now, even with just a off the shelf laptop, we're running multiple streams of video simultaneously while grouped, while chatting across the world. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'll plug the M1 processor on this thing. I can't get that. I can't get my computer anywhere near like one third of its CPU capacity. Whereas my previous generation, my previous generation processor was like bottlenecking every day. And frankly, it's, you know, don't get me wrong, this will get old eventually too, because we will continue, because the innovation and the use case will basically start to catch up with the tech. But on the Mm -hmm. AI side, you're right. Like this was, we couldn't even dream of this previously. And I want to also say like the one, one really cool thing I'm getting to experience as part of this podcast. And I've seen it also in kind of blockchain space is all this stuff moving out of the discussion stage into the reality stage. We're starting to see like the promises stuff deliver. So with that, let's talk about where it's going. Where do you see, what are the kind of cool use cases you see being dreamt up and and coming forward going in the near future? There are probably too many to name, but I'll I'll highlight a few. Uh, Certainly there are a lot of ESG, so environmental Mm -hmm. social governance applications uh, that are coming into play. That's obviously a huge area of interest from both financial institutions, as well as consumers to make sure the companies that they're investing in are are doing right by all the regulatory requirements, but not just those, but also the societal expectations and the the needs of the environment. And so that's a huge area of application and, and one where we're seeing a lot of investment oriented, particularly around future capabilities. I would say another one is autonomous finance. So we talked about autonomous vehicles earlier, and just to take the analogy a step further, It's all about how far when it comes to our finances, are we willing to let go of the steering wheel? You know, will we let an AI refi our mortgage for us once it hits a certain threshold that we've identified? 
Or how about not even a threshold we've identified, just one that the AI itself believes that there's a short enough payback that it makes sense for us to invest and, and take the time mortgage refinance. Or it learns that we've recently had, you know, adopted a child or, or had a new addition to our family. And so now is it time to start thinking about opening a 529, you know, college savings plan? How about automatically rebalancing our portfolios for us? So there are all ways in which we're seeing the potential for autonomous finance and companies today are already making certain capabilities available to us as consumers. Certainly there are robo advisors, but mm-hmm. you know, what about, you know, savings programs that are goal oriented that automatically set aside the keep the change type programs that started a long time ago and rounding up to save, et cetera. Um, all of these are derivations and concepts that are grounded in some level of autonomy when it comes to our finances. And I think that's really one of the more exciting areas for innovation, because to your point, it's all about these capabilities are now moving into production. They are out there in the ecosystem delivering value. And I think we will all reap the benefits of that as it continues to permeate different areas of the entire kind of workflow within a bank, but also our experience as consumers uh, with the banks as well. Yeah. And I hear you on that. I mean, when you think of, I have the saying, it's, it's a little bit derogatory. It's always been on lazy. Um, you can't expect people to do everything you're told. So the more the system can do it for them, the better off you are. And we'll call it, you know, a, a construction or a concept of benevolent nudging that can really have a real impact in people's lives. So yes, lots of potential there. So you keep on mentioning banks, and of course, they have their large companies that basically have access to all this stuff already. But in terms of you know what's going on in the world of open banking, assuming mm-hmm. that we get to a, a proper model framework where portability of data and accessibility of data is universal and secure and, and easy, is that plus the smart implementation of artificial intelligence by some of these fintechs an ability to really challenge existing banks? Or do you feel that it's going to entrench uh, existing institutions? That's a great question. I think I would open it up to more than just the incumbent large retail banks versus the fintechs to include big tech, you know, whether it's Apple, Google, Facebook, et cetera, as well as retail. Look at what Walmart's announced in terms of what they'll be building from a fintech perspective. Walgreens just the other day, actually. Mm-hmm. And when we record this, it's, it's going to be a couple of weeks, obviously, after, after we record this, but yeah. Right. And so I think there's any company because of open banking and the capability through our permission to share data with any entity we want, the store of our financial data and the entities that we trust with that information to make use of it on our behalfs could be any number of types of companies. It could be you know, our utility company, our cable companies, et cetera. It's whoever we trust with that data and want to give permission to access it. I think the companies that are going to win, and this is where your question was going, are the ones that are going to create the most value out of that trust, as well as not violate that trust. And so I don't know if that's going to be the fintechs or the big banks or any of these other players in the ecosystem. But I do know that These four primary players in terms of big retail, big tech, fintech, big banks are going to be the primary competitors. And if one of them is using AI to deliver a virtual assistant or chatbot, and the other one is still using some form of rules-based kind of chat experience, which one is going to win? It's going to be the AI-powered application that has the sophistication to answer more questions, to do it more quickly, to have a more human-like interaction. 
and therefore it's going to win in more use cases, right? That's what it comes down to, right? Maybe, maybe those questions are narrowly defined and it fits just me perfectly, but it's not going to fit everybody. No, and that's where the AI is great because it will learn from all of those interactions. You may say you're interested in seeing your balance. I'm interested in seeing how much money do I have in my account today? And so balance and how much money, they all mean the same thing. Uh, but if you haven't built the rules to understand that, the AI fortunately has the sophistication to parse that out, understand from a natural language process what we're requesting and get us the answer that we're looking for. And so this is kind of, I think open banking is a great example where you know the power is rests with us in terms of who we want to share that data with. And the responsibility lies with those companies with whom we share that data to make the best use of it on our behalf, to personalize the experience, to make the right recommendation so that we're all following the best financial journey that we can to frankly enable the lives that we want to lead. Yeah. And I think we've, we've crossed over, you know, in discussion of dealing with these other companies, these non-tech companies getting into, sorry, these non-finance companies in terms of getting into tech, you know, we're, we're branching out into the concept of embedded finance, which is something that Danny Fava over at InvestNet speaks quite frequently on this. And, you know, I've already seen some pretty interesting, very simple early use cases. Like you pull out Google Maps in some cities right now, and they're piloting the ability that when you see Google Maps, there's a button to pay for your parking right there that's that knows where you are and is integrated into the city system and is integrated into your, into your financial, financial banking information. And just without having to go anywhere else, when the push of a button, boom, I'm taken care of. And mm-hmm. I think really that's one of the exciting things about all this for me is letting the technology companies come or the technology companies choosing to come into this is going to make everybody sharper and, and everybody really focus in on their value proposition and really try to eliminate friction. And I will say one of the things that concerns me about artificial intelligence within finance is whose bias is guiding this and whose ultimate purpose or whose ultimate interests are being really served here. Is it the large financial institution or is it the individual? And in a competitive marketplace, it's going to have to start to, it's going to have to skew towards the individual. Otherwise people are going to opt out of the one who's self-serving. Well, there's there are regulatory requirements in place, right? Obviously, I live in Canada, gig. man. I got an oligopoly to deal with. <laughs> you, you, you don't you, know what it's like. <laughs> you have five banks to deal with. That's right. I mean, there are regulatory really it's requirements one, but, already. You know, they're all they all operate like one, but it's five. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yes, you can see them all within a two block radius of each other in Toronto. Hey, five flavors uh, of a vanilla. It's all out of sight. There you go. <laughs> and you know, I think the other interesting aspect of your question, going back to the embedded finance point, is this is essentially what's been espoused by some of the smarter thinkers, I think in FinTech, and I'm going to steal from uh, Matt Harris from Bain Capital here, but he wrote a great piece about FinTech as essentially the fourth sort of platform in the digital revolution, if you will. It started with the internet, you layered on mobile, then you've got cloud, and then you have FinTech. And the point is that FinTech, cloud, mobile, the internet are not the resident capability of just one industry or one type of company. They are imperative to every company that exists. Every company, even nonprofits, manage money mm-hmm. and handle money. And especially to your point, government institutions. And so how can they interact and embed a capability in Google Maps or any other application versa to make our experience more seamless? It's just like your cars. When you drive up to fast food, we'll have the capability to pay for you. You won't have to pass your credit card through the window or what have you. So it's huge implication and really opportunity that's not just going to be addressed through AI. There's all sorts of embedded finance capabilities that will not require machine learning or, or deep learning to exist. But from a customer experience 
standpoint, they will make a huge impact in kind of our day-to-day lives, as well as bring a lot of efficiencies to what in many respects, as you alluded to from north of the border perspective, <laughs> systems that may not work as well as we'd like them to well, in some respects. Better. Yeah. And I mean, anyone who's already gone into an Amazon ghost or already knows that the only point of friction is having to scan in and out. But in reality, we're not too far off, walk in, walk out and never do anything other than grab what you want. And it'll be for lack of a term, it'll be like you're shoplifting, but legally. So Kevin, this has been great. Before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everyone to kind of end on a positive note. The first thing, the first one I have for you is if you had one wish for something you can change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Yeah. The first thing that's coming to more data scientists coming out of college. <laughs> God, no kidding. Talk about uh, you know, so for those of you that are still in college, definitely consider that as a path forward. So, I mean, there's just such a need for that. And then the other piece actually started off at the very beginning when you open this conversation, which is, you know, why are we talking to NVIDIA on a fintech call? And AI is so paramount to this industry, whether it's for the fintechs, the insurtechs, the big banks, and for any company that is going to be investing in AI and migrating into deep learning capabilities, you need an accelerating computing platform. And we do not care if you consume that capability in the cloud, on-prem, hybrid, just know that NVIDIA is at the heart of it because you need the GPU, the accelerated computing platform. And that would be from a company perspective. I wish our brand were as associated at such a great level with financial services and AI as it is with gaming and graphics. And we will get there. That's and that's what we're edge, working right? towards. That's what drives yep. you guys really. That's what's driven you to this point. It still continues to push that envelope. I mean, that and Bitcoin mining, but you know, like that's what pushes the envelope the most. So it makes a lot of sense. And at one point you made about the data mining and then AI. I mean, we didn't say this earlier, but talk about an industry that was born for as a perfect use case for artificial intelligence. Like is artificial intelligence, a lot of these things we discussed need huge data sets to really kind of figure stuff out that humans can't. Mm-hmm. And boy, if there's one thing financial services companies have, it's huge data sets. Clean data sets, different story, but huge, yes. That's one of the people often are curious, like fintech versus big banks, where do the advantages and disadvantages lie? And certainly one of the advantages, and fintechs are very jealous, is all the data that the big banks have. Yep. You know, they're starting to- I open banking's a danger because it's an equalizer. Second question for you. Normal question is, what has been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? Now, NVIDIA is a huge company. I'm not going to get into that. But to your mind, I'm going to modify this. What is the biggest challenge towards companies looking to adopt artificial intelligence in the financial space? Is it wrapping their head around the opportunity? Like what, you know, when getting started, where is the big hurdle? So I think it's getting it out of the research labs and into production. And particularly for the big banks where there are so many processes that have been established over time, they don't have kind of a turnkey capability to migrate again out of the innovation realm into production. That certainly changed. But I mean, I would love to be, you know, three years from now when it is, it's no longer a question as to how do we take this innovation and infuse it into this application and get that to market quickly so that our consumers, our customers can benefit from it. And the last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and gets you out of bed every morning to keep on fighting the good fight? It's the fact that there's so much opportunity to educate and enable in this ecosystem. And there are some of the smartest people in the world that are working in financial services and they see the power and the opportunity associated with AI. Uh, But to your point, oftentimes they don't know where to start in terms of use cases. 
They don't know how to think critically around the opportunity and to build out the right infrastructure and capability to support that opportunity. And I also like what I highlight as one of our challenges, which is that people don't know that we are foundational to everything that they're doing in AI when it comes to financial services and enter any industry into that blank where I put financial services. And to me, that's super exciting every day to wake up, to know that we have the capability to address so many problems and to really work to solve the most challenging problems. We would love for you to come to us with what you believe AI can't solve or can't work against. And let us be a partner to help take on that challenge. Because to your point, this company, NVIDIA, is all about innovation and stretching kind of the boundaries of where people thought computing power could go and certainly where artificial intelligence could be of benefit. So that's one, uh, that's one for your marketing team. They should change the tagline to NVIDIA, challenge accepted. Love it. Yes. All right, Kevin, thank you so much for this. Greatly appreciated. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And that was today's interview on FinTech Impact with Kevin Levitt of NVIDIA. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.